Hey, so good to see you. So good to gather and to, uh, to be the church, to sing, to worship together. We are going to be in Numbers chapter 16 today. Uh, we're continuing our sermon series on the life of Moses, Let My People Go. You might be saying, how much longer are we going to be in the series like the grumbling Israelites? How much longer are we going to be in the wilderness forever? All right, forever. Um, no, we're going to be in the wilderness. Uh, no, <laughs> we're going to be in this series um, probably for, for probably like another five weeks. Okay, we're going we're gonna to dip in Deuteronomy a little bit. And we're going to land a plane on the death of Moses and Joshua taking over a transfer of leadership. So looking forward to that. I've got so many books, so many series that are calling for my name right now. And I really just don't know what the next series is going to be. I've got several I'm kind of looking at. So um, looking forward to that. If you have a Bible, number 16, here we go. You guys ready? Are you guys ready? Okay. Just want to make sure you're ready. All right. Here we go. Uh, let me bring you up to speed on where we're at. Give you a little context. Context is always good. Context matters. We've been looking at the book of Numbers. So multiple weeks, multiple passages, looking at like the attitudes of the heart. So we talked about complaining back in Numbers chapter 11. How's it going? Kind of quiet. Negativity. How's it going, folks? Right? Good? Winning? Not winning? All right. Appreciate that. Kind of, a, kind of a golf crowd this morning, kind of quiet, right? You're, you're on the, you're watching the golf. Okay, uh, racism, talked about racism, right? You know, I, I hope that you, my challenge to you is for you to engage someone that's different than you, looks different from you, has a different background, get to know them, build a relationship with them in our church, your oikos, your neighborhood, your workplace. Um, criticism, talked about criticism. Right? Been critical lately? I have. Anybody else? Good. Okay. Pastor, as honest you become honest. All right. Um, doubting, right? We, we, we looked at the, the spies came back and lots of people started doubting God's goodness and power. And so here's kind of where we're at. Moses is leading two to three million people from Egypt to the promised land. Now check this out. How many miles do you think it was from Egypt to the, to the promised land. Take a guess. Take a guess. 300 miles. Only 300. Most of the time, God's people, they're just wandering in the, in the wilderness. They're wandering. They're going in circles. Their sinful attitude towards God and Moses is, is keeping them kind of hemmed in. They're, they're bucking the spiritual leader, Moses, in their life. God's people, they're wandering God has promised, listen, I, I'm giving you the promised land. And, and so we know the story, 12 spies are sent out, 10 bring back a bad report, only two are men of faith. 10 doubting God, two believe in God, the 10 eventually die by plague before the Lord. God don't play around, right? When it comes to like his relationship with his people in the Old Testament. Only two, Caleb and Joshua, they remained alive. And here's what I love about Caleb, don't have time. I had to take it out of my notes. I wanted to pursue it and chase it and talk about it. But here's what I love about Caleb. Two things. Number one, are you ready? Number one, Caleb, the Bible says he had a different spirit. That's good. Do you have a different spirit? 
spirit in your life? Do you have a spirit of faith, a spirit of like, you know what, God can do this. God can do the impossible. God can break through to someone in my oikos that is like hardened towards the gospel. There's no interest towards Jesus, but the spirit can come and do a mighty work in their life. Do you believe that? Like he had a different spirit. He believed God's word. We should believe God's word. Number two, I guess I'm chasing it. He was fully, he followed the Lord fully. That means he was devoted to the Lord. He was all in, chips in, he was in. He was rock solid pursuing God. So like that's a life worth emulating. Now we know, we looked at Numbers chapter 14, the end of it, we looked at how God judged his people's faithlessness. Look at Numbers 14, 31 to 34, but your little ones, this is what God is saying to the nation of, uh, of Israel. But your little ones, who you said would become a prey, I will bring in and they shall know the land that you have rejected. But as for you, your dead body shall fall in, the, in this wilderness and your children shall be shepherds in the wilderness 40 years and shall suffer for your faithlessness. Until the last of your dead bodies lies in the wilderness according to the number of the days in which you spied out the land. 40 days, a year for each day. You shall bear your iniquity 40 years and you shall know my displeasure. The children would go in. The parents would not. 20 years and up, the parents, young adults, would not go into the land. Why? They didn't trust God. They rejected God's promises Hence, they rejected the land. They doubted God's um, goodness and his kindness and his faithfulness. One generation dies. The next generation goes in. Judgment, 40 years. That, that's, that, we see 40 years with Jesus being tempted by Satan. 40 years is a big number. It's about judgment and testing. One year for each day that the land was spied out. This would be a continual reminder to the people as they just wander amok in the wilderness like you, like we have completely failed. We have missed the boat. We have not listened to God. We have not trusted God. We're not moving forward by faith. And guess what happens to us in our own lives? We don't trust God. We don't move forward. We get stuck. Fear keeps us stuck. We need to engage in faith and believe that God is big and God can do some amazing things in our lives, but we allow the enemy to whisper and say, you're unworthy. God, God can never use you. God can, God can never um, forgive you of the shame and the guilt in your past. No. If you're, if you're in Christ, all sins have been forgiven. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the shame, the guilt, the condemnation, the, the feelings of the past, here's what you got to do. You gotta just know in your mind, by faith, that's been nailed to the cross forever. It is finished. To die, right? Payment made, sin covered, sin atoned for. All right, well, maybe I'm gonna preach a little bit this morning. I'm a little excited, but I'm losing my voice at the same time. Look at the reaction of the people. I didn't preach last Sunday and I got sick. I'm like, I'm like winded up here. Okay, but. I'm not trying to make it awkward, okay? I just got to get my breath here. I, uh, 
took my wife to a Morgan Wallen concert back like in the fall. We love that guy. By the way, we love country music. If you don't like country music, what's wrong with you? Like, what's wrong with you? Like, country music is about, like, God and mama and patriotism and trucks and beer, right? I don't drink beer, but it's about beer. Okay. When Moses told these words, so Moses gets a word from God. He tells these words to all the people of Israel. The people mourned greatly, and they rose early in the morning and went up to the heights of the hill country. Now, notice what they say. Oh, man. When I read this this week, it just broke my heart. It just really, it ripped my heart out. Because I thought, how many times have we been there? Notice what they say. Here we are. Here we are. Moses, here we are. We're going to go up to the place that the Lord has promised, for we have sinned. So Moses gets this word. And Moses shares the news with the people, judgment. And their response They mourn greatly. They're in agony. They're in deep pain. They rise up early in the morning. They go to the heights of the hill country, and they say, okay, God, Moses, here we are. We'll go up. We've sinned. But it's too late. It's too late. Sometimes the consequences for our sin brings a memo in Sharpie that says it's too late. Sometimes God says it's not too late. But other times, I think we miss opportunities and it is too late. And there is consequences for our sin. Moses says, if you go, God will not be with you. And what did they do? They went anyways. I mean, how dumb, right? He's like, how dumb are we, right? We know God's not in this, but I'm doing it anyways. So they go up and they get defeated, I mean, destroyed by the Amalekites and the Canaanites, right? Did the people listen? No. Disobedience set in. They did not listen to Moses. See, I see a pattern. There's calling, there's disobedience, there's consequences. How does this play out in our lives? God is clear. God calls us to do something. We can choose faith or fear. Sometimes we give in to fear. We don't surrender We don't sacrifice, we don't serve God. And so a sinful lifestyle leads to a lifetime in the wilderness. Here's what I'm saying. Choose to sin, choose to suffer. You choose to keep yourself in the wilderness. The wilderness is a metaphor. It's a picture of sin and suffering and death. Look, we just read it. Like, and I just gave you the Numbers 14 passage. The the people are dying in the wilderness. The stench is horrific. And God is saying, listen, I wanna give you freedom. I want to give you the, the best life ever. The best life ever. I want, to, I want you to experience this freedom outside of the wilderness, the blessings that God has for you. But you can't continually waver in disbelief and, and, and wallow in your sin and be stuck in the wilderness. How do we fall into deep sin? How do we fall into deep sin? It's a slow, gradual process. You know, I know of pastors that were in the ministry, and they're not in the ministry because their life has been riddled with fraud or affairs or um, you name it. We know Christians. They were once walking with God. They were once on fire for God. I mean, just blazing for the glory of God. And then their life is in complete shambles. They don't even 
go to church anymore. And you're just like, what? I have like somebody like that on my oikos. I've been working, praying, investing, inviting, sharing the gospel for several years now. I'm not giving up. I'm not quitting. I just believe God's going to move in this guy's life. But when it comes to sin, it's a slow, gradual process. And eventually, your life is circling the wilderness. But on the flip side, God calls, you obey, leads to blessing. And that's what the book of Deuteronomy is all about. But we're not going to be in Deuteronomy today. We're going to be in number 16. You guys ready? So that was my intro. All right. I got to speed up. You guys ready? We are going to speed this up. Point one, a rebellious attitude lies within every human heart. A rebellious attitude is a very serious thing. When you choose to rebel, you choose to self-destruct. You choose to wreck your life. We've all seen it. We see people just self-eject from walking with God. They become consumed, enamored with the world, and they love the world more than they love Jesus, and their life just becomes one big, messy ball of sin and just walking away from God. God wants us to keep our hearts soft and tender before him. You know, we're all rebels. You got a rebel pastor, you're married to a rebel. You got rebel kids. Well, not my kid, because you know, my, my little sweet little thing, six months old, no, wicked baby. <laughs> wicked baby. Rebel in training, okay? And guess what? You don't even got to teach that kid how to rebel. You don't have to teach kids two things. Number one, mine. Number two, forgot, I forgot my notes. <laughs> you don't have to teach a kid to bite another kid. I mean, whose mom or dad says, okay, Johnny, when, when they're mean to you and they exercise authority over you, you just do that, bite them. If you do that, that's bad parenting. Get, get that off my hand. So what I'm saying is we don't like authority. We don't like being bossed around. I don't like being bossed around. I like bossing other people around. Some of you, you don't even want to respond because you know it's you. The quiet ones, it's you. It's human nature. Number 16, verse 1. Now Korah, the son of Ishar, son of Kohath, son of Levi, and Dathan, and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and on the sons of Peleth, the sons of Reuben, took men. Okay, let's break it down real quick. Korah is a descendant from Levi, from the priestly house, and his name means baldness. Some of you are there. I'm getting there slowly. Thank you, COVID. I, I got COVID. I think I started losing my hair because COVID. No, for real. For real. Tribe of Levi, tribe of Reuben. So Korah from the tribe of, of Levi and then, and then uh, Reuben, he's also a, a tribe. So Levi is one of Jacob's 12 sons, which makes up the 12 tribes of Israel. They were instructed by God to lead the nation in worship. The tribe of Reuben, this was Jacob's firstborn son from Levi. Leah, the one that Jacob really didn't love, he loved Rachel, 
She was uh, barren, womb closed. God opened it. God extended favor. She gave Jacob, Joseph, and Benjamin. Leah had a string of kids. She gave him Levi, and then, and then Simeon, and then the third one was, no, Reuben, Simeon, and, and then Levi. So you have the tribe of Levi, worship leaders, Reuben, not worship leaders. Okay, look at verse two. And they rose up before Moses with a number of the people of Israel, 250 chiefs of the congregation, chosen from the assembly, well-known men. So you, you see, they, they took some men, they're like kind of formulating an, an army to rebel, it's like a mutiny here, and it says 250 chiefs. These are like noblemen. These are chosen, well-known, godly men, spiritual leaders in the community. They're chiefs, right? They have oversight, leadership. These are good men. Good men and good women can be influenced by bad men and bad women. You've got to guard yourself. Core and these men are assembling these chief priests. And so now you're going to, this is just the beginning of the problems. Here's point two. A rebellious attitude is disobedience to God's clear commands. Rebellion is knowing something that God has clearly said, but not doing it. It's really the attitude of, you know what? My way is better than God's way. And, and it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? The original sin was pride. And in the Garden of Eden, it's perfect freedom. There was one rule. They couldn't eat from the tree, right? And we all have the, the same nature. We, we bow up on authority. I think this is one of the biggest issues for people who don't know Jesus. Because when you share the gospel with them, and if they come to the conclusion there is a creator he has revealed himself in creation through the word of God, through his son Jesus. He died for my sins so that he could become Lord and Savior, Master, CEO of my life, the final say, the final trump card. People don't like that. Unbelievers have to move beyond that heart issue. Like I have to, like, I have to completely like, give up everything. Yes, you do. The gospel demands everything. Sanctification takes time. Doesn't happen overnight. Sometimes, you know, as believers, we, we all have junk in our life that God is still trying to get out of us, right? But for believers, the desire of our heart should be, God, you should have the final authority. You should have the final say in my life. And so we, we, we intentionally put ourselves under God's authority because there's protection and there's safety with the Lord. Here's point number three. A rebellious attitude is sometimes fueled by, je by jealousy. In reading the text this week, it really stood out to me. It was so clear to me. Like, these are guys that are so jealous. They're, they're, they're so jealous of Moses and Aaron and their position. Look at verse three. They assembled themselves together against Moses and against Aaron and said to them, you have gone too far for all in the congregation are holy, every one of them and the Lord is among them. Why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? Notice that it says they assembled themselves together. This is a lot of people. 
This is a lot of people to organize. I don't think that was like a quick text message. I think they, they, there was planning involved, strategy, timing. When are we going to execute? What are we going to say? Who's going to take the lead? What if he doesn't listen? What are we going to do? They assembled. And, and they're like, you know, everyone is holy. True or false? Everyone is holy. False. I mean, chapter 14, God drops the hammer. There's a whole generation of people that are not really holy. The younger generation is going to be brought into the promised land. They're going to survive. They're going to be given the land and the promises. They're going to receive what God intended for their parents. What a sad thing. The root issue, notice what the root issue is. It says, why then do you exalt yourselves above the assembly of the Lord? They're saying, Moses, you're so full of yourself. You're so into yourself. You're, you're exalting yourself. You're looking down upon us. You think you're better than us. You have a, a superiority complex. That's the root issue. They're so jealous of Moses. We can be so jealous of other people. There's something in my own life that I've been working through the last, probably the last few years, specifically the, the last six months in my own life. This series is so timely for me. It, it, it's so relevant. It's so good. It's a good word for me. Like, I need to trust God no matter what. I can't compare myself. I can't, I can't want to be in someone else's shoes. That ship sailed. There are moments where we look at other people, we see who they are, we see what they have, we, and we want that. We just do. And sometimes it comes from maybe an impure motive. Sometimes it comes from a, a pure motive. You want something that someone has. It could be family structure. It could be how their kids are. It could be they, they have kids and you don't have kids. It could be, you know, you're chasing a career path and someone's higher up on the ladder than you are. You want to be there, but you're not there. Or, you know, what, what I've learned is like the younger generation wants, they want to have exactly what their parents have at like in their 20s or early 30s. It's like parents have worked a lifetime to steward God's resources, to be faithful and so there are times when jealousy creeps into all of our lives. These men, they're so frustrated with Moses because they want to be in Moses' shoes. When you want to be in someone else's shoes, it's going to get you into a lot of trouble. Because when you want to be in their shoes, you're ungrateful with the shoes that God's put on your feet. How many times have you been ungrateful with the shoes that you're walking in? This last week, this morning, the last month, the last year. It, it, it's something that we all deal with. Let's pick up the story, verses 4 to 7. When Moses heard it, so he, he hears their response. They're throwing darts, arrows at him. You exalt yourself, right? You think you're big stuff. He fell on his face, and he said to Kor and all his company, In the morning the Lord will show who is his and who is holy and will bring him near to him. The one whom he chooses will bring near to him. Do this, take censers, core and all his company, put fire in them and put incense on them before the Lord tomorrow. 
And the man whom the Lord chooses shall be the Holy One. You have gone too far, sons of Levi. Moses, what does he do? He falls before God, right? He's got people against him. There's, there's conflict, right? Anytime there's conflict, there's problems. People are coming at you. People don't like you. People want what you have. They want your position. They want whatever, right? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? We fall and we get low before God. This is what Moses is doing. He's getting low before God. It's a good way to deal with the problems of life. We get low before God. Moses then throws down that challenge about the censer. Now, a censer was like a, like a pan that was put on the end of a pole, and it was used to get into the fire and get the coals and take the coals to the sacrifice, the Holy of Holies, and then they would mix in spices with the coals, and it would, it would create this amazing aroma as for the sacrificial system. And in their mind, it was an act of worship. The aroma was rising up to heaven and the Lord would accept it as a pleasing sacrifice of worship. And so Moses is saying, listen, I mean, he throws down the gauntlet. Let's just really see like who God is gonna choose. Look at verse eight. To verse 10, and Moses said to Korah, Hear now, you sons of Levi, is it too small a thing for you? Notice that, because they're jealous. He's like, Is it too small a thing for you? Maybe a little sarcasm, I don't know. Um, that the God of Israel has separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself, to do service in the tabernacle of the Lord, and to stand before the congregation to minister to them, because he's talking to the Levites, priestly. Um, the priest who would minister before the Lord, and that he has brought you near him and all your brothers, the sons of Levi, with you. And would you seek the priesthood also? Remember the tribe of Reuben, they're involved. Okay, so that kind of explains that. Moses is like, is this too small of a, of a thing for you? Is this not a big enough spiritual role for you that you have to be jealous and you have to come at me? Like, in their heart, what they were doing was not big enough. Application for us. Here we go. You guys ready? Okay. The church, the people, the church, the people have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. He, you are blood bought. Blood bought. The creator of the universe sent his only son to die for you. His blood purchased you. And it wasn't just so, uh, you know, it was a, it was a once and for all sacrifice. Hebrews tells us. And so I want you to think about you are, if, if you have given your life to Christ, you are placed into the body of Christ. Every believer from every generation is placed into Christ's body. You are the body of Christ. You are the bride of Jesus. You are the, the Jesus is the cornerstone and, and you are the brick and God's building this spiritual, um, spiritual structure building. It's about the kingdom. And so when you get saved, guess what God does? He gives you an apron to put on. What does that mean? He wants you to get in the kitchen. He wants you to start serving. He wants you to serve. Did you know that God has gifted you? He has gifted you with at least one spiritual gift. There's so many different books, passages that talk about the motivational gifts. I mean, you could... It's the leadership, faith, serving, hospitality, generosity, teaching, admin. I mean, it's all so many gifts. I'm not even mentioning all of them. 
Like you have been gifted by God. He has given you a spiritual gift for you to employ, for you to use for the body, right? But sometimes as believers, we just sit on the gifts. It's like, well, it's for my enjoyment. No, it has to go beyond your enjoyment. So as, as a church family, here's my challenge. If you're not serving the body here at Summit Point Church, you are not in the game. It's not enough to come on Sunday morning. This is vertical. It's not enough to be in a community group. That, that's, that's relational. That's good. We want you to establish a process. But we want you to engage in a personal ministry. Find a place where you can invest in the lives of other people. Say, you know what, God, I'm just, God, I'm going to jump in. I don't know where I'm going to jump in, but I'm just going to jump in. We have so many people behind the scenes serving and getting their hands dirty and investing in the next generation, whether it's preschoolers or kids or youth. We got people doing media. We got people playing in the band. We got greeters. We got people overseeing ministries. We, we got all these people doing ministry. I want, I want you to get into ministry. Find an area where you can get passionate about. Look at verse 11, number 16. Therefore, it is against the Lord. So Moses says, it is against the Lord that you and all your company have gathered together. What is Aaron that you grumble against him? Moses is like, hey man, like, what's the deal here? Why are you mad at me? You're, you're grumbling, your jealousy, your issues, take it up with God. Take it up with God. Look at verse 12. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, and they said, we will not come up. So they're causing all this problem. Moses is like, hey, let's meet. Let's talk. Let's work it out. They're like, no. I mean, totally not listening to Moses. This, this, this rebellion, this rebellious attitude creates a sense of being right. What do I mean by that? Have you ever rebelled against God and you felt like you were in the right like, your rebellious attitude, you know what? I'm in the right. Let me give you some examples. Believers have an affair, and then they say, well, I just fell out of love. No, you fell out of repentance. You didn't fall out of love. You fell out of fighting for your marriage. You know, young people, they engage in, in, in sex before marriage. And they say, well, you know, yeah, I got a test drive to see if we're compatible in the bedroom hogwash. That is a lie from the enemy. That's a lie from the pit of hell. As believers, we're called to be holy, to, to live separated lives, to the, the marriage bed, to be honored, right? That does, listen, that doesn't mean that people are not going to make mistakes and grace kicks in. Oh, grace kicks in, amen? But, but when people say, well, you know, they, they come back to it like, well, you know, I got rights and my feelings, I feel right about this. Listen, if it contradicts the scriptures and the scriptures are clear, then you're not in the right, you're in the wrong. But how can we do spiritual gymnastics and we try to justify our sin? Let's just own up to it. Let's just say it for what it is. You know what? I want to do this. I find that person attractive. I want to engage in sexual morality before marriage. P people lie and cheat on their taxes. And their justification is... I mean, it is kind of tax season. You know what? I deserve more. I work hard for this. The government shouldn't take this from me. If that's your justification, you have a rebellious attitude. 
if you are engaging, you're consuming too much alcohol in your life. People will say, well, I don't have a problem. I don't have a problem. It makes me relax. It, it helps me to escape my problems. What does the Bible say about drinking alcohol? I don't have time to chase this, but it's a gray area when it comes to having wine or a beer. It is not a gray area when it comes to drunkenness. And when do you know you've crossed the line? Overuse. Let me say that again. Because I don't want anyone walking out of here thinking, oh, he's against... No, I'm against drunkenness. Because the Bible says that drunkenness is a sin. The best wine's going to be in heaven. I can get... Jesse, you're going to be out of a job in heaven, buddy. It's going to be amazing, all right? So listen, all right. Here's point number four. A rebellious attitude leads to many consequences. It leads to many consequences. So the dominant theme is grumbling, okay? Grumbling is manifest in different ways. Let me break it down for you real quick. You see the consequences play out in different ways. In Numbers chapter 11, people are complaining about their misfortunes. Guess what happens? The fire of God falls down and, 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 and burns outlying parts of the camp. Later in Numbers chapter 11, the people complain about not having meat. God, we want more than manna. We want meat. We want meat. We want something hearty. God provides quail, and then he sends fire down and consumes them with a plague. Numbers 12, Miriam and Aaron, they oppose Moses about his wife. She's a Cushite woman. There's racism. No, we can't have her in the family. She's got too much dark skin. Oh, we can't, we can't follow his spiritual leadership. Moses, you know, he, he's got too much of a prominent position. Well, guess what God does? He strikes Miriam with leprosy. Numbers chapter 13, the majority of the spies bring back a bad report about the land that God has promised to give them. And because of their doubting hearts, God made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years and only let those less than 20 years of age enter into the land. Older generation dies off, younger generation goes in. Do you see how the consequences play out? It's, it's amazing. It's amazing how God holds his people accountable when we have a rebellious attitude, when we're just sin-bent to do our own thing. Look at verse 15. And Moses was very angry and said to the Lord, do not respect their offering. I have not taken one donkey from them and I have not harmed one of them. Look at verses 16 to 30. Here we go. This is kind of a big one. And Moses said to Korah, be present, you and all your company, before the Lord, you and they, and Aaron tomorrow. So their, their complaint comes one day, they assemble the next day. And let every one of you take his censer and put incense in it, on it. And every one of you bring before the Lord his censer, 250 censers. Remember the chiefs? You also and Aaron, each his censer. So every man took his censer and put fire in them and laid incense on them and stood at the entrance of the tent of meeting with Moses and Aaron. Then Korah assembled all the congregation against them at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the congregation. And the Lord spoke to Moses and to Aaron. But can you imagine? Can you imagine being there in that moment? The, 
the Shekinah glory of God shows up, overshadows the tent of meeting, and God speaks directly to his leaders. He says, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. And they fell on their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry with all the congregation? And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, say to the congregation, get away from the dwelling of Korah. Dathan and Abiram. Then Moses rose and went to Dathan and Abiram, and the elders of Israel followed him. And, and he spoke to the congregation, saying, Depart, please, from the tents of these wicked men, and touch nothing of theirs, lest you be swept away with their sins. So they got away from the dwelling of Korah, Dathan and Abiram. And Dathan and Abiram came out and stood at the door of their tents, together with their wives, their sons, and notice this. And their little ones. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works, and that it has not been of my own accord. If these men die as all men die, or if they are visited by the fate of all mankind, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord creates something new and the ground opens its mouth and swallows them up with all that belongs to them, and they go down alive into Sheol, in the Old Testament, place of the dead, then you shall know that these men have despised the Lord. I want you to see the consequences play out here. The ground, Moses is saying, listen, the ground is going to swallow up these guys. Swallow them up. And not just the men who had rebellious attitudes towards Moses and and God, but their wives, their sons, and their little ones. Let me say this really quick. I wasn't even going to touch on this, but I'm going to touch on it real quick. Sometimes people come to the Bible, and they come to texts like this, and they're like, God seems so harsh. I don't know, I don't know if I can worship a God like this. I don't know if I could surrender my life to a God that wipes people out. Listen, there are some things that we are not going to fully, completely, totally, 100% understand, understand with our finite human minds. And when I come to things in the text and the Bible that I'm like, I don't quite understand this or that. I think really several things come to mind. Number one, I realize that I am not God and God is God. I realize that, you know, I don't want to worship the creator of the universe that I can fully understand in every detail. Like there are some things that just, I leave those things to God. Some things we will understand when we're in his presence. When we have eternity to learn and grow and, and understand him more. Some things you just have to settle by faith. I, I don't understand it, but... But really, and here's another big one, I don't understand the holiness of God. I don't understand his blazing glory, his perfection, his holiness, who he is, how great he is, how majestic he is, how glorious he is. And so because I don't understand that, I'm not going to understand certain things in the Bible. Sometimes it causes people to question Shouldn't cause you to question. 
It should cause you to worship him because he is big and he's glorious and he's awesome and he's perfect and he's righteous. And this God, you will spend eternity with, amen? Verse 31 to 35. And as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Kor and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished from the midst of the assembly and all Israel who were around them fled at their cry. Oh, I bet you they were fleeing. For they said, least the earth swallow us up and fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men offering the incense. Now, God judges. Now notice in verse 41, notice this. But on the next day, but on the next day, all the congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and against Aaron saying, you have killed the people of the Lord. The very next day. This is crazy. Can somebody help me out here? This is crazy, man. The next day. I mean, if I stood there and I watched a heavenly spiritual sinkhole swallow up who knows how many people that, that, that would change me or at least I think it would change me wouldn't it change you I mean I think it would, it would change us and when the congregation look at verse 42 when the congregation had assembled against Moses and against Aaron they turned toward the tent of meeting and behold the, the cloud covered it and the glory of the Lord appeared here we go here's what's going on repeat round two here we go. Here we go again. God shows up again at the front of the tent of meeting, and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, get away from the midst of this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. It's like God is just wanting to wipe his people out multiple times. And they fall on their faces, and Moses says to Aaron, take your censer and put fire on it from off the altar and lay incense on it and carry it quickly to the congregation and make atonement for them, for wrath has gone out from the Lord. The plague has begun. So Aaron took it, as Moses said, and ran into the midst of the assembly, and behold, the plague had already been begun among the people, and he put on the sentence and made atonement for the people, and he stood between the dead and the living, and the plague was stopped. Now those who died in the plague were 14,700, besides those who died in the, in the affair of Korah. And Aaron returned to Moses at the entrance of the tent of meeting when the plague was stopped. Here's what's going on, and we're going to be done repeat judgment the people were accountable the people knew the truth the people had seen with their eyes God's judgment they had no excuses they were just flat out rebellious towards God choose to sin choose to suffer this is what's going on they're, they're choosing to engage in rebellion and a rebellious heart ultimately is against the Lord so here's the final tidbit, maybe question before we're done. Where are you rebelling against the Lord? It's a good question. Is there someone that God has placed in your life to give you wisdom and counsel and you're rebelling against it? Are you rebelling in how you're parenting your kids? Are you rebelling in your marriage? Are you rebelling in your spiritual walk with God, where does God, where would God say, where would God put a finger and say, that right there 
needs to change in your life. As Christ followers, let's be about that business. Let's be sensitive and say, okay, God, where in my life am I rebelling against you? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for your love. Thank you, Lord, for this story that packs so much truth about not being rebellious and really surrendering and giving you gratitude for what you've done and who you are and all your gifts and your blessings in our lives. Help us, Lord, not to be marked by rebellion, thinking that our way is a thinking that our way is the better way, that we know best, we know what's right. God, help us to yield to your spirit, take control of our lives. We pray that we would make room for you in our lives, for you to work, for you to convict, and Lord, for you to transform, change us into who you want us to be. God, we just give you this time now. Lord, maybe there's someone here today that is rebellious against you. They don't even know you. They're not a Christ follower. But today, they're ready to meet you. They're ready to encounter you. They're ready to give their life to you. God, I pray that in the quietness of their own heart, they would cry out to you. They would acknowledge that they're a sinner, that your son Jesus died for all their sin. He rose again the third day. And if they trust you, if they place faith in you, they commit to follow you today, you will give them eternal life. God, may you do that work in their lives by your spirit, by your grace. And we pray.